We'll ask the little ones, eight and under, to come on down. This morning, it's all right. Well, good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Mr. Boo Head, okay. Before we start, can I ask you guys like a question real quick? Who's your favorite superhero? You don't like superheroes? The Flash? Hey, I used to like the Spider-Man a lot. Uh, can I ask you guys why you like your superhero? Because I like the movie because he dies for us. <laughs> and I like the Black Panther from Rapunzel. Hey, amen. He could run. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but Jesus, man, that's a. You want to come up here to bless you? <laughs> bless you. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, mine is actually Jesus too, and um, I don't know if you guys know this, but. He came to save, and he was the best at it. He's better than the Flash. He's better than Spider-Man, Superman. Do you have a favorite superhero? Um, you like Incredible Hulk? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, those guys could only like save people in like their city. They couldn't save everyone at once, no matter how fast they were. But like Zeta said, Jesus could. He died for us. He did save everyone, didn't he? Yeah, he can. And that's what he did. And that's what Jesus' mission was from the beginning. He came and he accomplished that through the cross. He died for us, for our sins. And through that, we, we believe in that. Do you guys believe in that? Yeah. Yeah? Me too. <laughs> so can I ask you guys another question? Yeah. What's your favorite color? Orange. Orange? on your shirt. Nice. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? Blue? Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't know if Jesus had a favorite color, but he saved everyone again. And that's what he Yeah, he came to save everyone, especially in your school. Your family. And he saved your booty. My booty, yes, he did. He saved my booty. But yeah, once we believe that, he calls us to. Hey, guys, pay attention. He calls us to follow those commands. The, those commands are to uh, go tell people about Jesus. He knew he couldn't Yeah. Okay, yeah, but we still have to follow those commands. Yeah. And he gives us those commands to go tell people about Jesus everywhere. So before you guys go back to your seat, can you guys do me a favor? Or as you go back to your seat, can you go tell one person that Jesus loves them? Can you do that? Ooh, <laughs> say Jesus loves you. Or don't say it. Yeah. Go tell your parents that, okay? <laughs> All right, you guys are good to go. See you. <laughs> Amen.
committed to raising up leaders and then sending them out. Uh, so in the last year, we've sent out two families to go uh, do work in other places. And right now we have four pastoral interns that are specifically training as to how to serve uh, and be better equipped to serve in the local church. So uh, we have one second year resident, which is Brandon, and he's been with us for two years and he's gonna preach next Sunday. Um, and then we have three first year residents. And part of your first year residency is that when we get to the end of the school year, you get to bring the word for the first time. And so you just met Gabe. Yeah, Gabe is going to do that, uh, did that through our children's sermon, and then he'll be sending us out with a benediction. And then Blake and Jack are our other two uh, first-year residents, and they are going to be co-preaching a sermon this morning, which is something we don't ever really do except for on this Sunday. Uh, so they'll be bringing the, the first half and then the second half. Uh, but I'm really excited about these guys. Over the course of two years, we meet every month, and we talk about doctrine. We're looking, about, we're looking at character, and we're really just wanting to raise up well-equipped uh, future you know, pastors, church leaders, and also those who would serve in our own church. Uh, we want to um, raise up those who can go overseas um, and also those who can go across the street to the church that needs them. So I'm excited for you to uh, get to have heard from all three of them by the time we're done today. So I am going to uh, pray and then Jack Porter will come up uh, to bring the word and Blake Winchell will follow him. Lord, thank you for this day and uh, for the opportunity to come together and uh, just to talk about your will for your church. Um, Lord, you are um, incredibly gracious uh, to your bride, and you've been incredibly gracious to us. And Lord, I ask that we might never um, lose uh, the desire uh, to, to multiply what you are doing um, here in the midst of these people. And uh, Lord, I thank you this morning uh, for these residents uh, that uh, have committed time, who have sacrificed, uh, who have served in various ministries, uh, from you know just on, in all kinds of different ways, um, in order that uh, the gospel might be heard um, amongst uh, those in our community. And so, Lord, uh, this morning, um, I uh, thank you uh, for Gabe and uh, continue uh, to lead him as he lead, sends us out later today. And then be with uh, Blake and Jack this morning that they might, if nothing else. Uh, hopefully ultimately nothing else that they would just give us the gospel um, that uh, your word is more than sufficient and powerful in and of itself so uh, remove any pressure they may feel uh, for to present anything else and would you just take uh, both of them and hide them behind your cross this morning I ask this in Jesus name amen Morning, guys. Give me a second here, I'll get set up and we'll get moving. As uh, Rodney said, my name is Jack. Uh, some of you might not have heard me a whole lot because I'm kind of a quiet dude. Uh, but I thought I'd open up this morning and tell you guys just a little something about myself. Uh, I might be the only one here, but I absolutely hate cell phones. Uh, I, I can't handle them. I hate taking phone calls. They are literally the worst. I, I hate making phone calls to other people. I hate taking phone calls. It's literally like, I, I, I'm not gonna lie, I wanna throw my phone at the wall all the time. But I had to sit and think about it for a second. Like why do I hate taking phone calls? Well, when my phone rings, there's a dozen things that come to my mind. You see, is there something that I forgot? I'm a little forgetful, so that happens sometimes. Uh, did I get myself into trouble? I'll be honest with you, that one's about 50-50. <laughs> uh, is there an emergency and do I have to deal with it? 
But worst of all, I think like 90% of the time, those phone calls that we get on the daily is from that dear friend of ours that we all know and love, Scam Likely. Uh, but you know, on the rare occasion that it is important, and the rare occasion that I do pick up my phone, uh, I usually try to get to the point and exit the conversation. I don't want to be there any longer than I have to. Because you see, the thing is, is that phone calls make me anxious, and they make me hesitant, because I don't know what's waiting for me on the other end of the line. You see, I kind of wonder if sometimes I approach the way that God has placed his call on my life in a similar fashion. I wonder if maybe we all approach it like this. There's a phone that's ringing in our lives, and this one can't be ignored. There's a call that's just waiting for us, and it has to be answered. There's a call on our lives to make disciples. Well, welcome everybody. It's Church Planting Sunday, and I'm super excited about this. I think that it is a great day to be talking about something like this. You know, last week, uh, we talked about uh, Easter, we, we had Easter Sunday, you know, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus and we celebrated. And that's a great day for celebration, you know. We all come to church, we go off and we eat lunch together. There's eggs for some reason. But am I the only one who got to about Wednesday this week and then just kind of started living life totally normal? I mean, you know, the resurrection of Jesus is the most life-changing, world-altering event, and it only took me three days to get back to my usual grind, my, like, common worries, my 10-second attention span. But the truth is, is that the resurrection of Jesus demands a response, and we're here today to talk about that response. We respond through multiplying, and it seems like to multiply, we have to do two things. We must make disciples, and we bear witness. You see, we are called to make disciples. So if you would, open your Bibles with me this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Oh, whatever you got on you, if it's a device, if you got a physical copy with you. Uh, we're going to be sitting in right underneath the <coughs> resurrection account in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Uh, Matthew records Mary and Mary telling the disciples to go meet Jesus in Galilee, and that's where we're picking up. Got that right here, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I had commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. I think first and foremost, the important thing to be talking about right now is that Jesus tells us that all authority has been given to him. You see, throughout the book of Matthew, there's this motif uh, that Matthew is just shining a spotlight on Jesus as king. And I don't think that the Great Commission here is any different. You see, when Jesus says that he has all authority, he's really telling us that he's king, that he's king of heaven and of earth. And in light of Jesus being king, he issues us a decree. 
He calls the disciples to a mission. He says, go therefore and make disciples. But he doesn't just say make disciples in Jerusalem. And he doesn't just say make disciples of the Jews. He says, make disciples of all nations. Now, this was a world-changing call. The invitation to salvation, the invitation to eternal life has been extended to all people. There is not a crevice on the earth that is unable to stretch out and reach and receive the blessing of God. All people are able to partake in the triumph of the King, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing is, is that all nations is kind of a tall order. You know, the ends of the earth knows no bounds. So then how do we go about this? How do we make disciples? Well, you see, Jesus doesn't leave us without instructions. He gives us two things to do. He tells us to baptize and to teach. And the order of events here, to me, is just a little strange. I feel in my heart sometimes that this seems out of order. In my mind, sometimes I read it the other way around. Doesn't it make more sense to teach others before we baptize them? Does it not make more sense for us to learn before we get accepted into the fold? But you know, this is a fatal mistake that I used to make. You see, back when I was in high school, if someone were to ask me about Jesus, uh, or ask me about my faith of some kind, I would give them a crash course of the Bible. Like, here's everything that you need to know. You know, uh, God created the world. Humanity fell. Jesus was born of a virgin. That was weird. Uh, he ministered for three, de- uh, for three years. He was crucified. He rose again from the dead, and he's told us to tell other people about him. But, you know, that's a lot. There's a lot to unpack in that. You see, there's a reason, I think, that teaching comes second. First and foremost, we tell them about Jesus. We let them walk with Jesus, and we walk alongside them for the rest of the way. Let them ask questions, help them find answers. There's a time to learn, but we are not saved by scripture or the knowledge of scripture, we are saved by Jesus. Uh, To be honest with you, when I was looking at this passage, I actually thought that it felt a little incomplete without its other half. So we're gonna be turning a little further today. Uh, We're gonna be turning to Acts 1. And that's going to be in uh, verses 6 through 9. And you see here, we're going to see the second calling in our lives, that we are called to bear witness. Acts 1, 6 through 9. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has uh, fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. See, The disciples start this passage by acknowledging the authority of Jesus. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? The disciples are on the edge of their seats. As these Jewish men, they are just anticipating the restoration of Israel that the Lord had promised them in the prophets. And I'll be honest, I can't help but picture 11 grown men in the back of a Subaru just going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I'm sure that some of you parents can cringe automatically just by hearing those words. 
And it's because the kids who do that, I was one, uh, the kids who do that just don't get it. You know, the disciples just don't get it yet. You see, Jesus gives the most we'll get there when we get there kind of answer of all time. He tells us that it's not for us to know, but he gives us something to do in the meantime. See, Jesus promises that we'll receive the Holy Spirit and immediately tasks us with an objective. He calls us to a mission. He calls us to witness. To the disciples, it's to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To your city, to your nation, to the world. This is the expanse that our witnessing must travel. And the thing is, is that witnessing and discipling are actually two very different things. To make disciples means to make followers. But to bear witness means to provide an account of all the things that have happened. Bearing witness almost seems like that missing piece, that missing step in my mind in Matthew's account. This is the step that comes before baptism. Bearing witness means that we tell others of all the things that Jesus has done. This means that we talk about his death and resurrection, but this also means that we talk about what Jesus has done in our lives as well. The transformative power of Jesus in your life is a witness to the gospel, and I feel as though sometimes we forget that. When I was a sophomore in high school, I'll be honest, I kind of missed out on my first real chance to bear witness. I was on a bus ride uh, coming back from driver's ed, and I was sitting next to some stranger, and for the life of me, I don't know how, but we started talking about Jesus. And I remember that, you know, I gave them my crash course of the Bible, but never once did I mention how Jesus had changed my life. You see, I, I realized that when we came to a stop that I had left her completely confused, that I just dropped this bomb of information, when really simple talk of transformation would have sufficed. If I had one thing to say about bearing witness, it's never undersell the transforming power of Jesus. We have a calling. Our calling is to make disciples and bear witness. And when we do that, we are fulfilling our lives mission. Sometimes, however, we allow excuses to impede our mission. And for me, there are two that come to mind. The excuse of, I'm only one person, or the excuse of, I'm not qualified. But don't lose hope, because these are just excuses. They are just lies that we tell ourselves. First, know that you were never meant to be more than one person. Just because you are only one person does not mean that multiplication is not the mission for us. The goal has never been just about sheer numbers. It has always been about making disciples who make disciples. Here at Rita, we call ourselves a family of missionary disciples, but what does that mean exactly? You know, that means that we are disciples on mission, and that mission is to bear witness. That mission is to make disciples. You see, if we were to all just go out and start discipling two people, slowly but surely, this place would be exploding with new faces. And that's when you start to send these disciples who now know how to make disciples out. And that's when you send them out to make more disciples. You see, to multiply, you don't have to take on the world. I know that it feels that way sometimes. 
but you just have to make the world a little smaller one person at a time. Second, I know that I also feel unqualified, but it's a lie that we tell ourselves. <coughs> We've been called to a mission set in place by the man with all authority. When you serve the universal king, you are never unqualified. Under no circumstances do your inadequacies, my inadequacies, uh, do they ever cast a shadow over the power of God. There is never a day where I am going to fail and ruin the mission. When we say that we are unqualified, we are trying to shrink the power and authority of God into a pocket-sized Jesus. I've got one thing to tell you today. You're not big enough to get into the way of God's plan. You can only decide whether you're going to be a part of it or not. The phone is ringing. On the other end is a mission statement, a command from God. Go and make disciples. Will you answer the call? Don't let yourself get in the way of being a part of the greatest purpose for your life. Will you answer the call? You see, in, in Acts, that passage that we're reading today, there's actually a little more to it. Acts 1, 10 through 11 says, And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus has been taken up from you into heaven, will come to you in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. I gotta be honest, this is actually probably one of my favorite parts about this passage. Is that the angels look at the disciples and they're just like gawking at the sky and they essentially just say to them, why are you still here? You know, Jesus is gonna come back one day. Let's get to work. Rooted church, answer the call. Let's roll up our sleeves and let's get to work. Well, hey, everybody. Um, man, thank you, Jack, for sharing that. Um, we've been commissioned to go. Um, and as we saw in yeah, Jack's sermon, we're commissioned. And now we're going to talk about how we can be on mission. So um, we've been commissioned by Jesus to go, and then um, we're going to look at how people who answer that call that Jack was just talking about, those are people who are on mission. But before we start, I just want to pray. God, would you um, speak today? Uh, because if you're not in it, um, none of this matters. And so would you speak and help us to listen? Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you guys a question. If you wanted to change the world, if you're going to try to change the world, what would you do? If you're anything like me, the first thing that comes to your mind probably isn't prayer, but it should be. So in the 1700s, there's a man named Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. A mouthful, I know. Um, we don't have time to go through his whole story, but basically um, he had a lot of land, and there was this group of Christians who were being persecuted for their faith called the Moravians. And so he said, hey, you guys can come, stay on my land. And so they came and spent some time there, and um, Count Nicholas ended up being their leader, and, and they were 
uh, a group passionate about Jesus and making his name known. And it didn't take too long for them to have their hearts stirred. And they began to say, man, we want to pray around the clock. We don't want a minute to go by when there's not somebody in our group talking to God about people coming to know him. And so 24 men and 24 women got together and they committed to praying for an hour around the clock so that there was never a moment that passed by when prayer was not being offered to God. And it didn't take too long for this group to grow to over 70 people who were praying around the clock for the mission of God to be accomplished. And countless people were influenced and impacted by this small group of people who lived on this land all through um, the years. And so one of the incredible things that happened through this group is that normally out of every 5,000 people that are a part of a church, one becomes a missionary. In the Moravian community, one out of every 60 people became a missionary and became a part of the mission of God to the unreached. That's an incredible thing. And they also actually influenced and impacted John Wesley. John Wesley came to faith through the Moravians and their work. And so because of their prayer, their prayer is what empowered their mission. Because they decided to take prayer seriously, God used them on mission to change the world. Today we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians. And in this letter, um, we're going to see kind of a practical way for how we can be a part of God's mission here and now. But before we start, I want to give the why. Why we're on mission and why we share Jesus with people. We share Jesus with people because we want God's glory to be made known to the whole earth. We share Jesus because Jesus has risen from the grave. He's alive. And we share Jesus because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no salvation outside of him. We don't just share him for bigger numbers, although we hope that many people come to be saved. But we share him because he is the only way to salvation. We share him because he's the best thing that could happen to anybody. So why would we not share him with everybody We share Jesus because we love God and we want to be a part of his mission. We share Jesus because we love people. And so in Paul's letter to the Colossians, um, he's actually speaking to a group of new believers who uh, he actually hasn't met either. He hasn't been to this church. And so it's kind of just a letter where he's telling them how to live as Christians. If he was speaking to a brand new person, he's like, "This this is how you'd live. And he really goes into how Jesus is better than anything. Jesus is the wisdom that everybody's looking for. He's the answer to the questions that people are asking. He was there at creation. He actually created the world. The world was created through Jesus. He's more powerful than anything or anyone. And because of this, they should pray and share him with others. And so in this text, we're going to see three characteristics of people who are on mission for God. And the first of these characteristics is that people on mission are people of prayer. In the beginning of our section, we're going to see that we need to be devoted to prayer and that we need to pray for others and for the spread of the gospel. Turn with me to Colossians 4. Um, We're going to read verses 2 through 4 to start. 
It says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So in Paul's plan for the mission of God to be spread and the gospel to be spread, prayer is central. We saw how incredibly powerful prayer can be in the story of the Moravians, how the gospel is spread so much because these people were empowered by prayer, and that is the same power that empowers us today. If we want to be a part of the kingdom of God and what God is doing in his mission to this world, we have to pray. It's not optional. If we want to be a part of what God is doing, even here in southwest Missouri, we need to be people of prayer. Because we actually don't have the power to change anything. But God does. So let's talk to him. There's a million things we could always be doing besides praying. But none of those things have the power that prayer does to change the world. So we know we're supposed to pray, but what do we pray for? This is what Paul explains for us in these verses. He says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message. We pray for open doors for the gospel, that the gospel would be spread. And we pray that the mystery of Christ would be proclaimed. And we pray that it may be proclaimed clearly. Now, prayer is not always easy, but he says, be devoted to prayer. We need to be people who are persistent in prayer, who are tenacious in prayer. Prayer is not easy, but even when it's hard, we need to persist in it because it is the power for us to be on mission for God. And we should never share the gospel with anyone we haven't already prayed with because we need God to be with us. So people on mission are people of prayer. And we're going to see that people on mission are also wise. We're going to see that God wants us to act in a certain way so we can be the best witnesses to those who don't know him. And the way we act directly affects our credibility to non-Christians. So let's read verse 5. It says this. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. People on mission are wise. We have to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders because we never know when God is going to want to use us. In Colossae, um, there were a group of people, this group that Paul is writing to, that had claimed to follow this new Jesus that not many people had heard of, but their lives didn't really reflect any major difference. Sounds familiar. But Paul is saying this should not be. Our lives should show the difference that Jesus makes. Our lives should reflect Christ. Nobody wants to hear a story of life change or a message of life change from somebody whose life has not been changed. How will you be wise towards those who are on the outside, those who don't know Jesus? How will you love people in unique ways to show them who Jesus is? Next time you go to that coffee shop or that restaurant, you ask your barista or your waiter or your waitress's name and you remember it. And, and you ask about their day. You, you, you think about them not just as a means to a meal or a means to a coffee, but 
you care about them as a person. Or at work, you work harder than anybody else because you know you're not working for your boss, but you're working for the Lord, and he deserves your best every single time. And people notice that. People notice that they don't have to pick up your slack because you're working hard every day, and that might give you an opportunity. Or you become observant. You look at people and you, you see what they're wearing. You see they have uh, your favorite sports team or you see they have a band or um, something else on their shirt that you can ask them about and start a conversation. Or maybe they have a cross. You know, hey, I, I see you have a cross. Or are you a Christian? Or, or what do you think about Jesus? Or, or maybe they have a tattoo that's significant to them. And you, hey, I like that tattoo. Uh, does, what, is, what does that mean to you? And we start conversations. People should see the difference that Jesus makes by the way that we live. People on mission are wise. And something else wise people do is they invest well. You see, Paul, when he says, make the most of every opportunity, this is actually an accounting term. What he's saying is, make the most of the time because there's not much of it. Be wise in the way you invest your time. He's saying, spend your time Invest your time in things that matter. And he says, don't actually, don't use your time on things that don't matter because that's really bad investing. We want to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders and we want to be wise in the way we use our time because we don't have that much of it. Don't exchange your time for things that don't really matter, but exchange it for things that do. Exchange your time for things that are eternally significant and make the most of every opportunity. When someone has a bad day at work or something's just going bad in their life at school or, um, or at work, ask if you can pray for them or if there's anything you can do for them or if they need some hope. Ask them these questions. Don't miss the opportunities that God puts in front of you. I think he puts them in front of us more than we realize. So we've seen that people on mission are people of prayer and that people on mission are wise. Now we're going to see that people on mission are winsome. In our final verse, we're going to see that our conversations matter. Not only do our actions need to reflect Christ, but our words need to as well. Um, we're going to read our final verse in verse 6. It says this, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We see here that our conversations matter. Because we can't actually share the gospel without words. We should, sh we should reflect Christ in our actions, but we have to share him with our words. And he says that our conversations should be full of grace. And this means two things. The first thing is that we should be gracious in the way we speak. And the second thing is that our conversations should reflect the grace that has been given us in Christ. And so we're gracious in the way we speak. We're kind. We, our tone reflects our relationship with Christ when we speak to people. And that's all the time. And our conversations should have things that matter in them. We should get past the weather and work and get to things that actually matter. Although they can, they can start with the weather and the work, we get to things that actually matter, things that are eternally significant. He says that our conversations should be seasoned with salt. And, and what salt did is it, it gave flavor what he's saying is, when you have a conversation with somebody, don't leave a bad taste in their mouth after that conversation, but leave a good taste where they want to come back and hear some more, especially when you're talking about Jesus. 
Don't be needlessly harsh or irrelevant or dull, but be gracious in the way you speak and have salt in the way you speak because our words are powerful and far too often have we wasted our words on gossip or slander or coarse joking or sarcasm. Our words matter. Let's invest our time and our words in things that really matter. And one of the best ways to do this is through asking questions. So this is what Jesus did. You look through the New Testament and Jesus asked a lot of good questions. And actually people would ask him questions and he'd be like, you know what, actually let me ask you a question. I don't know about you, but sometimes that would probably frustrate me, like just answer my question. But hey, Jesus did it, so I guess, I guess we can do it too. Questions can get to things that really matter pretty quickly. <laughs> questions like, man, do you have a faith? Or are you spiritual? Or man, you ever felt like there's something more to life? You feel like you're living your best life? Or you can even share a part of your testimony. Man, I used to be like this, and then Jesus changed me, and now I'm like this. Do you have a story like that? And we can ask questions that matter. We're winsome in order that we may win some. We're winsome in our speech in order to make God our Savior attractive. People on mission are winsome. And how incredible would it be if we really lived this out? If anytime we went anywhere as a group, we prayed before and we asked God for opportunities to share the gospel, to be a reflection of who he was. How many stories of life change and of rejection and of baptisms would we have to celebrate? I don't know about you, but that seems like really living to me. Can I tell you how easy it can be? There's a story of a pastor that I listened to, and he used to work at a restaurant. He would bust tables, and he really didn't like it. It was hard work, um, and he just he didn't enjoy it. And so every day before work, he would just pray, God, let me get through this day. Let me get through this day. And for some reason, one day he was, God, let me get through this day. But then he added on, and if you want me to talk to somebody about Jesus, I, I guess let me do that too. And this guy was a, an introverted guy, so he didn't really start many conversations on his own. He kind of let them come to him. And it didn't take very long uh, after he got to work that somebody came up to him, one of his coworkers, and said, man, do you know about God? And he got to, from that moment, start sharing about God. And then his coworker's like, hey, hey, come over here. Hey, he brings another coworker. Hey, he's going to tell us about God. And he gets to share the gospel and share about Jesus to these people because he prayed for an opportunity. And God was just showing off. How often does God want to show off, but he just, he's just waiting for us to ask for an opportunity? But can I tell you how hard it is to, when you begin to reflect Christ and share him, you're going to get rejected. Um, I, I was at a, a shop one time. It was, it was called The Unrepentant Artist. So I was like, okay, that's an interesting name. I, I, I started talking to the owner. I'm in, I'm in this shop with a, a group of believers and um, talking to the owner, I'm like, hey, like the, the name of your shop, it's really interesting. Are, are you like religious in any way? And we began to talk. But as soon as I brought up Jesus, she said, okay, that's enough. Like you stop. I, I don't want to talk about that. And I was kind of blown back a little bit. And I mean, rejection is never something that we want. We're all afraid of rejection. And I think that's actually what keeps us from sharing oftentimes. It keeps me from sharing a lot of times. You're gonna get rejected. 
but trust me, rejection actually is a success. Because I had that conversation with that woman, and I think I was gracious, and, and I think my conversation was full of salt, and maybe she didn't come away knowing Jesus from that conversation, but she came, you know, I didn't hear what he had to say, but he was really kind. He learned my name. He was asking me questions. Maybe I'll look into that Jesus guy. You never know what seeds are going to be planted. You never know who's open until you begin to speak. And rejection is actually a success because we shared. And our job isn't to save people. Our job is to share and let God handle the results. I'll tell you one more story. Gabe and I actually were getting uh, lunch at McDonald's just back home one time, and, uh, and I see these three guys, and I feel like the Holy Spirit is like, hey, you need to talk to these guys, and I'm like, like okay, like, th- these dudes seem good, like, they don't need, I mean, they don't need me to talk to them, and I'm, I'm kind of, like, fighting it a little bit, but then I'm like, okay, like, I'll, I'll go talk to these people, and, uh, and I go over, and I begin to, I'm just seeing, and, and one of them has a cross earring, and so I'm like, hey, man, uh, see, you got a cross earring. Are you, are you a Christian? And he's like, uh, yeah, I, I believe in God. And I was like, and, and, and really the conversation didn't go anywhere great. And I was like, yeah, thanks, God. Thanks for bringing me over there. That was, uh, that was really good. Um, and, but me and Gabe go and we sit down and we have lunch. And, and they keep looking over at us while we're sitting at lunch. And I'm like, this is kind of weird. Like, I don't know why they're looking over here. We finally get up and leave and I go out to my car and they're parked right next to me. And I'm about to get in my car, and they say, hey, man, uh, can you tell us, like, more about Jesus? Like, that was, that was really cool that you, that you talked to us about him. And I got to share the gospel with these people and, um, and ask God, like, tell them about um, Jesus. And I got to tell them to get connected to a local church. They were actually just passing through the area. Um, and so this was the one time that I would probably ever see them. And I got to share Jesus with them because I was obedient. It wasn't because I was great. It was because I asked God to be with me. And I was like, okay, God, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. And how often does God want to do that? I don't know, but I think it's more often than we realize. The rejections are worth it when we get an opportunity to share about the beauty of Jesus. People on mission talk to God about people and talk to people about God. People on mission are people of prayer. People on mission are wise. And people on mission are winsome. Ruta Church, let's be people on mission. As we conclude,